Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. One of the common experiences of life is discouragement. As a pastor, I see that all the time, including in other pastors. Uh, some people, I think, are more prone to discouragement than others, and, but everybody experiences it. I, I don't know how you get through life without being discouraged at some point or another to one degree or another. And it can be a simple thing. Uh, I've known of people who bought a car thinking that was going to solve their problem, only to have problems with it and have to take it back. And then that didn't solve the problem. They had to take it back again. And then they had to take it back again. And they discovered they didn't buy a car, they bought a lemon. Uh, Some of the more serious cases I think I've encountered Uh, and I know of several of these even right now, is people who thought they were going to get a promotion only to discover that they didn't, and that was discouraging. And then they not only didn't get the promotion, the company downsized, and they ended up getting what amounted to a demotion. And then the economy was so bad they got laid off And then they tried to get a job and couldn't. And I know several people in that situation right now. And that is a, that, that's serious stuff. I mean, you get real discouraged when that happens real quick. So here's what I want to ask and attempt to answer. What do you do when you get discouraged? How do you handle discouragement? Now, What I really want to do is, uh, we've been going through the book of Genesis, we've come to the story of Joseph, and the text doesn't say he was discouraged. Uh, If I were going to cover all kinds of passages of scripture on discouragement, there are other places I might go. But, in this particular incident, I I can't imagine him not being discouraged, as I will explain in a minute. But what I want us to do is see how he handled that episode. That isn't to say that this is all you do or the only thing you do. It's not an exhaustive discussion of the subject. But in my personal experience in my own life and in counseling other people, what I see in this passage is what needs to be done when you get discouraged. Interested? Yes. You mean that is that... To admit that you get discouraged? (laughs) I want you to pay particular attention because you will talk to other people who are discouraged. I want to go through the story, and then I'm going to spell out two very specific things you need to do uh, when you get discouraged. And those are the two things I want you to walk out of here with, because if you don't need them, and you will, certainly you're going to talk to other people who need them. So we need to have a handle on this for ourselves as well as other people. And some of this is just common sense. 
So with that in mind, let's look at Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40, and I'm going to begin with verse 1. And it came to pass, after these things, that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. Let me pause there and lay out what's happening in this story. If you'll recall, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was sold into slavery to merchants who were going to Egypt. When he got to Egypt, he was sold as a slave to a man named Potiphar. And then Potiphar's wife had designs on him, tried to seduce him, and he resisted her, and then she cried rape, which wasn't true at all, and her husband had Joseph thrown in prison. Now that's where we left the story at the end of chapter 39. And it's important to know that as we begin this story, Joseph is in jail. Now, verse 1 tells us, And it came to pass uh, after these things, meaning after Joseph was thrown in jail, that the butler and the baker of the king offended him. Now, we have to discuss a bit what it means to be the butler and the baker. Uh, butler, what we, we think of butler, and that's probably something slightly different than the butler in Egypt in the Old Testament. Uh, butler means cup bearer. Uh, the butler was in charge of everything the king had to drink, and he had to make sure that it was not poisoned. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king of Persia. That's much, much later in history. But as I understand it, in some of these cases, and probably this one, uh, the cupbearer would drink whatever the king was to drink first, so that if somebody tried to poison the king, the butler would die. If the butler didn't die, the king knew it was okay to drink. So when it says chief, Butler, it's talking about the cupbearer. The baker is just that, the baker. He was in charge of the food. Now what verse 1 says is they offended the king. We don't have a clue as to what they did, but apparently it was pretty serious. It wasn't just that the baker burnt the toast, uh, they did something a little more serious, and maybe given the temperament of a king, it might have been just that. Uh, maybe the cupbearer gave him tea and it wasn't sweet enough or something. At any rate, uh, verse 1 tells us they offended the king. Verse 2 says he was angry. 
And he got so angry that he put them in custody of the house of the captain of the guard, verse 3. In other words, he threw them in jail. He put them in prison. Now, what's fascinating is that verse 3 says that he put them in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard. Now, you have to be familiar with the previous chapter to know that's Potiphar. And somehow this prison was attached or close by Potiphar's house. Now, the king put them there and Joseph was there. Look at verse 4. I'm sorry, verse, the end of verse 3. Uh, they put them in prison, the place where Joseph was confined. The Hebrew word translated confined means to bind, that he apparently was in bonds of some kind. He wasn't just in prison, he was in bonds. He was tied up somehow. Don't know how, but that word means more than just being in prison. Now, uh, the text tells us that uh, these, the butler and the baker get thrown in jail, and it just happens to be the same jail that Joseph is in. By the way, would you imagine that he got discouraged? Is it safe to say that he was discouraged? In the first place, he got sold as a slave from home, and he's transported to a foreign country. Imagine, uh, you know, being taken from America to Mexico. And he gets to Mexico, uh, he becomes a slave, and then he's falsely accused of sexual misconduct, and he gets thrown in jail. Now, he hasn't done anything wrong. He didn't do anything wrong to get sold into slavery. He didn't do anything wrong to get thrown into prison. And on top of all of that, he doesn't have the most comfortable position in prison. He's bound. So I just would like to suggest that Joseph was discouraged. I hope I'm not reading into the text, but I think that's a good sanctified guess. Would you agree? If I were in that situation, I think I would be a little discouraged and maybe a lot angry. So, the plot thickens. Look at verse 4. And the captain of the guard, now that's the one that put Joseph into prison, remember? That's Potiphar's, that's Potiphar. The Potiphar charged Joseph with them and he served them so that they were in custody for a while. Now, the point of verse 4 is that somehow Potiphar put Joseph over these two prisoners. So I guess that implies he got released from being tied up, and he's now uh, over these, the butler and the baker. And the text says in verse 4, they were in custody for a while, and he served them. This particular word for serve isn't the word for serving in a menial task. 
It's a more elevated kind of service. So he's become what? The administrator again? And this is for a while. Now, this didn't apparently last for a day or two or maybe even a week or two. Uh, we don't exactly know the time bound up in the phrase for a while, but that seems to imply this wasn't a short period of time. Uh, perhaps, I don't know, uh, more like months than days or weeks. So this went on for a while. So that's the setting of the story. Now the plot really thickens and the story really gets interesting. Let's pick it up at verse 5. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream was with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he said to Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each had a dream, but there is no interpretation of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell to me, please. Ah, phase two of this story is the baker has a dream. And the butler has a dream. Now, what causes dreams? Uh, from a biblical point of view, it has been suggested that the, the dream could be demonic, uh, maybe it could be divine, and I remember a Bible teacher once saying, or it could be from indigestion. You may have eaten too much before you went to bed at night. At any rate, these two have a dream. When they woke up the next morning, they, would, they talked about their dreams. They each had a dream independent of each other. And they didn't understand the dream. Uh, they didn't understand how to interpret the dream. So they were discouraged. They were sad. Uh, how do we get the interpretation of the dream? So when Joseph met them the next morning, he saw they were sad and simply asked, What's, what's going on? Why, why are you so down in the mouth? Why are you sad? Now that seems to me to be saying something about Joseph. He didn't treat them unkindly. He was sensitive to them. He sensed their sadness and said something about it. And they said, well, it's real simple. We had dreams last night, and we don't have a clue as to what they meant. We don't know how to interpret the dream. And Joseph says... Verse 8, Joseph says, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Notice, Joseph says, God is the one who gives dreams, and I am the one that can interpret them. Is that being braggadocious? Do you remember how he got into this mess? 
He had a dream. You remember that? The very beginning of the story of Joseph, he had a dream where his brothers bowed down to him and his father bowed down. That's why they got so angry with him and jealous of him. And there was other things involved, but that was a big issue. And that's why they threw him in the pit and then got him out of the pit and sold him to the caravan going to Egypt and he ends up in the mess he's in. But he knows dreams come from God and he can interpret them. So he simply says, tell me the dream. Now, before I go on, uh, I need to say something about dreams today, because as sure as I don't, it'll come up. Uh, how do you interpret dreams today? Does God give people dreams? Um, and the answer is, uh, it depends on who you talk to. Uh, in, in psychiatry, there was a fellow named Sigmund Freud who really put a lot of emphasis on dreams. No matter what your problem was, if you went to see Sigmund Freud or one of his disciples even down to this day, they will put you on a couch. Uh, they will sit behind you so you can't see them. And they'll say, start talking. And one of the things they will say is, tell me about your dreams. It was Freud's theory that dreams were desires in your subconscious mind and your frustrations. And that by talking about your dreams, you were going to figure out what your problem was because your problem is deep buried in your subconscious mind. That has never been proven. A lot of psychiatrists reject that idea. From a scientific point of view, uh, we simply don't know what causes dreams or what they mean. Uh, matter of fact, I did a little study once in Freud and uh, one of his colleagues and one of his contemporaries named Jung, and they both were the people who talked about dreams a lot. And what I thought was interesting is I found a case where uh, a person had a dream and it got interpreted by the Freudian theory and it got interpreted by the Jungian theory and it was two different interpretations. Uh, you got to be very careful when you start interpreting dreams. Well, does God give dreams? Well, in Hebrews chapter 1 it says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, and that's a clear reference to the fact that in the past, in the Old Testament, he gave dreams and he gave visions. Dreams are at night, visions are by the day. But in these last days has spoken to us by his Son, so Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, seems to suggest God communicates to us through his Son. Uh, this revelation was given to us in the Scripture. So God communicates to us in the Scripture, not in dreams. So I get very skittish when people want to say, i got a dream, uh, be careful. I'm not saying the Lord couldn't do it. I'm just saying, be careful. Uh, if you want to know what God says, Look at the scripture. All right. So Joseph says, I can interpret dreams. Tell me what your dreams were. Uh, 
So let's pick up the story at verse 9. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. And it was though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then the Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. Remember, he's really a cup bearer. Uh, and uh, I took the grapes, uh, pressed them into the Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in the Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of the dream. The three branches are three days. Now within the three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing uh, here that they should put me into the dungeon. Now, this passage, or this portion of the passage, is virtually self-explanatory. Uh, the butler, remember I said he was the cupbearer, uh, saw a vine with three branches. The branches had grapes. And in the dream, he squeezes the grapes into the cup. He gives the cup to the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh drinks the grape juice, or the wine, whatever. And uh, Joseph says, it's real simple, the significant part of that is the three branches are three days. So in, within three days. That's, by the way, that's pretty specific. A lot of dream interpretation gets real vague. A lot of, uh, I've never been to a fortune teller, but a lot of fortune tellers give you real, it's sort of like the guy that went to the fortune teller, he was single, and she said, watch out in the next six months for a blonde. And sure enough, within six months, he thought, man, this is great. I'm going to get a gorgeous blonde for a wife, just what I've been wanting. And within the six months, he met a blonde. She ran a stop sign, and they had a wreck, and it was a blonde. So he looked out for the blonde. It's very vague and possible different kinds of interpretations. This is very specific. In three days... You're going to be restored to your old position of being a cupbearer, and you're going to give the cup to the pharaoh again. Then Joseph adds this. I just ask one thing. Uh, I didn't do anything wrong to get here. So when you're back at your job and you're next to pharaoh, would you put in a good word for me? And I think what he's really asking is uh, just... He calls it a kindness in this passage. But I think the idea is that just bring it to his attention. Uh, if he understands that I didn't do anything wrong, then he'll let me out of prison. Uh, so I just, I interpret the dream for you. Uh, please do that for me. I didn't do anything wrong. Something wrong was done to me. 
So would you just please mention that to Pharaoh? All right, that's the butler. What about the baker? This really gets interesting. Let's uh, pick up the story at verse 16. Then the chief baker saw <clears throat> that the interpretation was good. And he said to Joseph, I also in my dream, uh, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost baskets were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. And the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you, hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. <laughs> Again, this portion of the passage is self-explanatory. What I think is interesting is when the baker heard that the butler's dream was good, he said, oh goody, here's mine. Give it a whirl. And he got bad news. The three baskets were three days. He was the butler in charge of feeding the pharaoh. Only instead of feeding the pharaoh like the butler gave the pharaoh the cup of something to drink, in his case, he didn't get a chance to give the baked goods to the pharaoh because the birds ate the stuff in the basket. And Joseph says, that indicates that you're going to get hung. And the birds are going to eat your flesh. So what we have going on in this passage is simply that the butler and the baker get thrown into jail, they have dreams, and Joseph interprets the dreams. I think it's interesting that one was good and one was bad, that they both had three days to be fulfilled, and they're very specific, unlike some of the stuff I've heard going on today. The question is, what happened next? Verse 20, and it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all of his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet, the chief butler who survived did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. All right, one more time. This part of the story is self-explanatory. It's the Pharaoh's birthday. And apparently that provoked him to throw a feast. And remember, you know, I had a baker once and a cupbearer. Bring them up. Let's celebrate. Only when they got there, 
the butler was restored, did his old job of hanging, hanging, handing the cup to the pharaoh, and the poor baker, he must have been the one that uh, really aggravated the king. He must have been the one that really, remember it said it in the early part of the passage, they offended the king. Uh, maybe the king decided that, um, that, that it was really the, the baker that did it. So he hung him. The point is that Joseph interpreted the dreams exactly right. But remember, this is about Joseph, not the baker and the butler. And so, remember, remember, when you get restored, just remember, tell the king about my case, will you? And the passage in this episode ends with, and he didn't remember. He forgot. Now, how did he forget? Why did he forget? We don't know. It's possible that he, it was just something like he, he put it off. You know, I'll, maybe uh, I don't want to upset the king, I'll do it later. Uh, maybe that's going on. Maybe it was a character flaw that he just didn't care. He's free. Why worry about somebody else? At any rate, uh, he didn't tell the king. Now, what do you do with this? Well, I couldn't help but read this when I read this thinking <laughs> it's about Joseph. And, and so put yourself in Joseph's shoes, especially in verse 23. They forgot me. They forgot me. I have heard stories today of somebody saying I was really discouraged. I attempted suicide, uh, ended up in the hospital, and nobody cared. Everybody, quote, forgot me. Now, that, I, I'm just going to suggest that what's going on here is Joseph got discouraged. And at this point, there is no hope. He's still in jail. They got out. One of them got restored to this place of serving the king, and here I am. I got nothing. So, is it safe to assume that he got discouraged? Is that a safe assumption? I think so. All right, what do we make of this? Well, let me make some suggestions. I'm going to sum it up by saying, when Pharaoh's butler and baker were put in prison, where they had disturbing dreams, Joseph interpreted the dreams to mean that the butler would be restored and the baker would be executed. But his request that the butler remember him before Pharaoh did not come to pass because the butler forgot him. And he ends up discouraged in the dungeon. Matter of fact, that was what I entitled this. Discouraged in the dungeon.
Because when people really get discouraged, that's the way they feel. I'm deserted and forgotten in the dungeon. You ever been there? I just talk to people all the time. That's the way they feel. So let me make two suggestions. Based on this passage, there are other suggestions that can be made, but these are two things you can do when you get discouraged. When you're in the dungeon of discouragement, be faithful to use whatever gifts and opportunities you have to serve the Lord. Don't sit and soak in your sorrow. Do something. Very important. Be faithful to do whatever it is that you can do. For example, if you're without a job, go look for a job. Uh, my wife uh, tells people, when you're out of a job, your full-time job is looking for a job. Very interesting. Because people who are out of a job and start looking for a job and don't get a job get discouraged, and it's harder and harder to keep up the process. And if you listen to my wife, you should be working nine to five to find another job. Full-time, that's your job. Now, what I like about that is don't just sit and soak and sour in your sadness. Do something. Amen. Remember James chapter 1? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various kinds of trials. Remember that? Amen. That's chapter 1, verse 2. Do you remember the last verse in that chapter? The chapter starts out with you being in trouble, you being in a trial. Listen how it ends. It ends with, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, that you visit orphans and widows in their trouble. I've always found this very fascinating and very helpful in my own life and in the life of other people. When you're in trouble, go help somebody. Don't just sit there. Go do something. That's what Joseph did. He ends up being of service to these two guys. Granted, he gave good news to one and bad news to the other, but that was his gift, and that was his opportunity. So he did what he could in the dungeon. That's what I got out of this story. He could have become very sad and very bitter, but he didn't. He did what he could do in that situation. I've given this advice to other people, and I've had them come back and tell me. I remember one outstanding case where a fellow got into a situation, he got so discouraged he was bordering on suicide, and he said, I remembered you said, go do something. And I just got up and went and did something. Rather than sit and think, I went and did something. And he said, that really helped. So, that's my first suggestion. Do something. Use whatever opportunities you've got. Go help somebody else. One commentator has said, God tests his people's faith in the promises 
before he entrusts them to positions of greater responsibility. Those who are convinced that God desires to use them in greater capacities will demonstrate their unwavering faith in the midst of discouraging situations. Another has said, those who faithfully use the abilities that God has given them, even in discouraging circumstances, demonstrate unwavering faith in God's promises to them. Trust the Lord. When you are discouraged, don't just sit, do something. Whatever gifts you have, use. Whatever opportunities you have, do. If it's nothing more than helping somebody understand their dreams. I meant that figuratively, not literally. I have a second suggestion. When you're in the dungeon of discouragement, be patient. Because you never know what God is doing. That is so important. When you are in a place where you are discouraged, you are looking at all the things that have gone wrong. And if you're in a place of discouragement, things have gone wrong. That's how you got there. I understand that. But I also understand something else. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're his child. He's working in your life. As I used to say when we went through the book of James, trials are for your training. He's training you. This is not an accident. He's, let, let, let me put it like this. Is God in control? That's the issue, isn't it? Is God in control, and if he's in control, do all things work together for good? I didn't say all things were good. They work together for good, right? So what you have to do when you're discouraged is look at the big picture. And you may not know the specifics of the picture in the future, but you can know, based on that verse in Romans 8, 28, God can teach you something even in the midst of the trial. As a matter of fact, God most often teaches us things in the trials that he doesn't teach us when we're not in a trial. We want a life where there's no trouble. There is no such thing this side of heaven. And if there were... Wouldn't be very fruitful. All sunshine makes a desert. Got to have a little shower. Got to have a little rain once in a while. It's the mix of the both that produces fruit. And God knows that. So, someone has said, the significance of this chapter lies in Joseph's God-given ability to interpret dreams. This gift and Joseph's use of it on the occasion prepared the way for Pharaoh calling for Joseph to interpret his dreams two years later and exalting him in the government. That's why you've got to be patient. What is Joseph's one ability? To interpret dreams. He has others. And so what's happening? God used this, and we'll see it as we continue through Genesis, to put him in the place where he was in charge of the food supply so when his family got in a famine, they could go back and not starve to death. 
God had a purpose for allowing Joseph to be put in prison, as we shall see as we go through the rest of the story. So I'm saying, be patient. You don't know what God is doing. He may do something you have no way of knowing. He does. You don't know. Trust him. Someone has said, young people often feel that they should be promoted to positions of leadership in the Lord's work, especially those who feel that they have spiritual gifts, such as an evangelist or a teacher, almost as soon as they become witnessing Christians and begin to acquire a rudimentary knowledge of the Bible. They tend to become impatient with what they regard as irrelevant uh, attitudes and programs of their churches and Christian training institutions. They would rather develop new methods on their own and get immediately into the active ministry, getting financial support, of course. Christians whose methods they regard as out of date. The point is, that's one illustration of people just, young people getting impatient when they need to go through the training process to get where they need to be. So, got it? Two things. Do what you can and wait on the Lord to show you his purpose in that situation. Amen. Got it? Well, let me conclude by quoting somebody who studied this passage, and I thought he really put his finger on the pulse of what is here. He said, trials may be viewed from two standpoints, and it will make all the difference in our spiritual life and peace which of the two points of view we take. From the human side, Joseph's suffering was due to injustice on the part of Potiphar and ingratitude on the part of the butler. From the divine side, these years were permitted for the purpose of training and preparing Joseph for the greater work that lay before him. If we look at only the human side of trials, we become discouraged, and it may irritate and anger us. But if we turn to look at it from the divine side, we shall see God in everything and all things working together for our good end of quote. So you can take the human perspective or the divine. And that'll determine how quick you get out of the discouragement. Father, thank you but putting these kinds of stories in your word that lets us know, on the one hand, that even godly men can suffer from injustice and ingratitude, and also giving us an insight into the fact that you're, you're working, even in situations where it isn't apparent. Thank you, Father, for that reminder. In Jesus' name, amen.